Get the Balance Right, a podcast for creative female entrepreneurs who want to get control of their finances, make more money, and live a balanced life. I'm your host, Heather Zeitzwolf, CPA and profitability coach. Join us each week to learn ways to run a more profitable business through inspiring discussions with financial professionals, business experts, and thought leaders. If you're looking for a quirky spin on business with a dab of woo-woo, grab your headphones. Together, we will break through our fears, live a life of abundance, and get the balance right. Hey there, peeps. Welcome to Get the Balance Right Podcast. I'm your host, Heather Zeitzwolf. On today's show, we are talking all about creating more cash in your business by knowing your numbers. To discuss this important topic, we are joined by Marley Major, who is known as the Prophet Goddess. She's also the author of the book, But Are You Making Any Money? Stop Being Busy and Start Creating Cash. This is not a totally new subject for this podcast. In episode 63, we talked all about understanding your numbers to be a strategic CEO, where we were joined by LaVon Shields, who, just as a reminder, is a totally badass accountant. Yes, accountants can be badass. If you haven't heard that episode, I really recommend that you go back and listen to that one next. It's a great companion piece to this one. Because LaVon's approach to the subject is from an accountant's perspective, whereas Marley's indoctrination into this subject is based on her years of entrepreneurial adventures. Many of my clients come to me not knowing their numbers. It's totally a common issue because many entrepreneurs, just like you, are following their passion. And when it comes to the nerdy, businessy side, they often feel like they're jumping off a cliff hoping their parachute will eventually open. Do you ever feel like that? I know a lot of clients come to me with those types of fears when it comes to the number side of things. But what does it mean to know your numbers? Running a business includes lots of numbers, financial statements, key performance indicators, pricing, profit margins, revenue, cash flow, marketing, sales, capacity, utilization, client satisfaction, etc. Numbers, numbers everywhere. There are tons of stuff to measure in a business, but to truly know your numbers, you have to be proactive and it really takes an ongoing effort. But once you get these systems into place, you can track all types of this information and really be able to know your numbers. One issue I see over and over again is that folks who don't know their numbers never have a handle on how profitable they are and if they have enough funds to pay themselves. Mike Michalowicz, who wrote Profit First, warns entrepreneurs that if they don't put earning money as a top priority, then they can suffer from having a business that is a cash-eating monster. If you don't know if you're bleeding money, then you won't know when or where to apply the Band-Aid. You can't create a budget if you don't know your numbers. I've been traveling a lot lately, and it kind of triggered a memory of one of my trips to Mexico. I've mentioned this on the show before. I am quite cheap when it comes to spending money on all types of things, but especially when traveling. I will cut costs wherever I can. Years ago, I went back to school in my 40s to get my degree in accounting. And at the time, I was on a really tight budget. 
I'm always on a tight budget. This is how I roll. But back then, I was seriously on a tight budget. So anyways, my husband and I went to Puerto Vallarta, Mexico for our anniversary. My brother got us a really nice room at a resort through RCI. And I don't even think we paid for the room. So we got that for free. And the room had a kitchenette. And I made most of our meals in the room. Food costs were very low because once in a while, we treat ourselves to some guacamole and chips down by the pool. But other than that, I made all of our meals. One afternoon, we were sitting down by the pool and I spotted a couple drinking some fancy looking concoctions out of a pineapple. Oh my God, a drink out of a pineapple. What is more tropical than that, right? So it was a couple of man and wife. The man who was drinking out of the pineapple, his pineapple was decorated with a male looking face which was comprised of various fruits. Think Mr. Potato Head, but instead of plastic, all the facial pieces were made out of various fruits, like a chunk of pineapple, oranges, maraschino cherries. You know, they made up the facial features like a nose, an eye, lips, ears, eyebrows, the whole shebang. And the female's pineapple was decorated like a woman's face, but it had kissy lips. They were so adorable, and I really wanted one. But the price for this drinkable work of art was 12 U.S. dollars. Now, this may not seem very expensive based on today's prices, but for me at that time, it was rather spendy. But hey, we were on our anniversary, right? So we decided to live a little and each get a pineapple drink based on our gender. As we sat by the pool, I anxiously awaited our tropical beverages Waiters would walk by us with buckets of Corona, pina coladas, Mai Tais. Kept watching, watching. Where is he? Where's the guy with our drinks? Then finally, I spotted our guy. He was coming towards us with a big tray where he had our glorious drinks embellished with a multitude of umbrellas. He handed me my pineapple that was meticulously carved. The taste was amazing and well worth the $12. However, on our budget... We wouldn't be able to live this lavish every day. This was only day two, and we had spent twice as much at the pool than we really could afford. Then I got my brilliant idea. I said to my husband, Vaughn, Hey, after we finish these drinks, let's bring them back up to our room. Why? Vaughn asked. I replied, I have a brilliant idea. We can go to the store and get some rum and some mixers and refill our pineapples. Genius, right? I figured that the people at the pool wouldn't know that we finished our drink and went up there and refilled it and came back down. I mean, how would they know, right? We take our pineapple drinks and we walk back to our room and we put them in our fridge. This is a full fridge, so there's plenty of room for our pineapples in there. And we ran to the corner store. So in Mexico, rum is dirt cheap, even the good stuff. So we purchase a thing of rum and some various fruity mixtures. And then we go back to our room and I got the frozen fruit out and we put everything into the blender with the rum and the fruit juice. And I made these most delicious rum drinks that cost a tiny fraction of the typical pool drinks. I mean, seriously, a fraction. Here's what happens. We got our chilled pineapples out of the fridge and loaded them up with my fabulous concoction and headed down to the pool. Now we're sitting in the sun by the pool, reveling in our accomplishment. Nobody even noticed that we brought our own drinks to the pool because they were disguised within the pineapple. 
I said to my husband, let's use these again tomorrow. After we finished our drinks, we brought them back up to our room and we stored them in the fridge overnight. The next day, they looked slightly softened and the gender-specific fruit started to hang a bit droopy. But we, you know what? It was fine. We repositioned the toothpicks that were holding the fruit pieces. And you know what? It, we gave it a bit of a facelift, a pineapple facelift. We loaded them back up with my smoothie rum concoction and headed back down to the pool. As we sat there and we sipped from our day-old pineapples, one of the waiters in our section kind of walked by and smiled. We weren't really sure if he was thinking like, hmm, they didn't order those for me. Where'd those come from? Or I, who knows? Maybe we were reading into it. I don't know. But we weren't sure if he could tell or not. Luckily, that never came. Nobody ever questioned us about our pineapples. So we you know, would go up to the room, refill them, bring them back down, all of that. That worked out fabulously. And so I looked at my husband and I'm like, let's use these again tomorrow. So we did. However... By day three, the pineapples were extremely soft. Like if you gripped it too hard, you'd probably puncture it with your thumb. We cupped them very delicately in our hands. And when we poured our rum-infused smoothie in there, triumphantly, it didn't leak. Whew! All right. However, the facial pieces were falling off. And no matter which way we tried to reposition the toothpicks, the outer fruit accoutrements kind of hung there in desperation. My husband said, I don't know if this is going to work. And I replied, I think if people saw them from a distance, we could probably get away with it. We left the hanging pieces of facial fruit on the pineapple, just, you know, from a distance. So we thought it would look OK. We decided rather than sit by the pool, we'd go down to the beach. And we didn't want to get caught by the pool with these jacked up looking pineapples. We went down the beach, we're playing chess in a cabana, sipping from our three day old vessels. And we start to question our miserly plan. Had we gone too far to save some money? I mean, after all, it was our anniversary and we're like sneaking around with these three day old pineapples. So we finished our drinks, which had a slightly fermented aftertaste and decided to toss our now genderless pineapples into the trash. Ugh. So why am I telling you this somewhat embarrassing story of me being really cheap? Well, there is a lesson here. Yes, my husband and I were on a tight budget, but by day three, we realized that we took it to an extreme. I mean, come on, it was fermented by that time. We had lost sight of the goal of our anniversary in Mexico, and that was to celebrate our anniversary. I think cutting corners in your business can be as detrimental as overspending. Yes, I said that. Being cheap in your business can be just as detrimental to your business as overspending. Remember, it takes money to make money. Even if you're on a tight budget in your business, never lose sight of what your goals are. Keep in mind that in your business, you may be required an influx of money to support its growth. Finding less expensive options can work, such as our pineapples on day two. They did work. But remember, if your solution becomes too janky, a.k.a. pineapples on day three, 
then you really need to find a better alternative, even if it's going to cost you more. And it may be outside your budget, but if it's the best solution for your goal, it's going to be worth it. Case in point, after we threw our pineapples into the trash, we went back over to the pool, hopped in, swam up to the bar, and charged two drinks to the room. Now that is what an anniversary in Mexico should be all about. All right, so let's go back to my guest, Marley Major. She'd probably be horrified by my story of the pineapple because in addition to being the prophet goddess, she's also known as the party goddess and is the CEO of a nationally acclaimed full-service event planning and catering business with the same name. Marley has created events for parties for A-list celebrities, which include Snoop Dogg and Britney Spears. Under her moniker, The Profit Goddess, she has quickly established herself as a top business coach in L.A. She does events and she does coaching. All right, here is my discussion about knowing your numbers with the renowned party goddess herself, Marley Major. Marley Major, welcome to Get the Balance Right podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. I am very excited to have you on the program. We are going to be talking about making more profit in your business. And you've even written a book about this as well. Before we dive into all of that, I have to ask you a little bit about yourself. You are a speaker. You're also known as the profit goddess, the party goddess. A lot of goddesses going on in here. Where did this all start? It started with a hot mess is where it started, like the exact opposite of maybe what it looks like now. I got my business degree from Georgetown and you would think that would be what I needed to start any kind of business. And there's nothing to do with Georgetown. It was everything I should have needed, but I got into the restaurant business very early on. My goal was very simple. I wanted to do a million dollars in sales, which is great if you're doing a million dollars in sales and also focusing on your profitability is not so great when your goal is just sales and your goal is a million dollars in sales and you're spending 1.2 million to get there, which a lot of us do, whether we realize it or not, that we just don't have that profit and the sales aligned. What happened to me happened to a lot of people, which was I built the company up. We took over a banquet operation. We started doing full service events. I then rebranded after I got divorced from the chef and the restaurant and this whole very long 29 podcasts worthy tale. At a very low point in my life, my dad was like, listen, you love the events. Why don't you do the events? And so I was like, fine. What's the biggest name, you know, other than ruler of the universe? And I was like, I'm going to call it the party goddess because I so did not feel like a party goddess. And I remember going to an industry event. We're in LA and New York are two of the most competitive markets there are in the world. And I remember going to this event and these other planners were like, oh, what was your name? But at that moment, I remember thinking to myself, you know what? I will freaking fix you one of these days. And now I can be like, haha, I did. Because I went on to get all these celebrity clients and get a lot of press. And it was a very strategic move. However, even though it was much more of a strategic move than I had when I was spending 1.2 instead of doing sales of a million, I still was missing a component. So then my dad comes back into the picture, we're having dinner and he's saying to me, that's great that you're doing something for Britney Spears and that's great that blah, 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 but are you making any money? And 
that was really the turning point. And he's like, no, how much money are you making? What's in your bank account? I remember it was so disheartening because I was like, how am I supposed to be so fabulous and make a lot of money? Which, you know, was of course my goal was to make money. It wasn't just to be fabulous. That was the moment that I decided, listen, I am done with this game. And I just want to tell a different story. But unfortunately, when you've gone to a really great school and you've had a lot of press about this supposed success you are, it's not so easy to then be like, how do I learn this stuff that I think everybody thinks I should know, you know, about my margins and everything and do it on the DL, especially since at the time I had very bad undiagnosed ADHD. So I just was like, I'm going to do this undercover. I came up with this little rinky dink system based on A's, B's, C's, and D's to price out your product or service. And the only reason I even shared it with anybody other than myself was for our industry convention, we would get a free ticket if we would teach a class. I was like, that's awesome. I'm going to teach this class for an hour, knock that out, and then I'm going to drink for the rest. And I'm going to have this free, very expensive conference ticket. And I hear my hours up and I'm like, okay, TikTok. People had questions and it was like standing room only. And I did not understand this. And and they were like, how did you price this? Or how did you price that? And I was just like, did you guys not hear the first part? Did everybody come in late? But the most revealing thing came out of it, which was that they said, yeah, but you're the only one answering the questions. I was like, well, I'll tell you how I do it, but kind of don't hold me to it. And no, I'm here really for the free class. And then afterwards, I kept answering questions and I was thinking, what is wrong with these people? I didn't think I had much to offer, but I really realized there was a need not only in our industry, but in creative industries in general for people to talk openly about their numbers and their margins. And I was never trying to get anybody to share their secrets to Coca-Cola. But what I was trying to do is just have a conversation, critically think and think, do I want to charge as a hybrid? Do I want to charge as a markup? Do I want to just charge as a flat fee? Like, how do I want to charge? But you can't figure out any of those things unless you're having a conversation about them. And most people were very uncomfortable having that conversation. When people wanted the next place to go, I didn't have the next place to go. And I ended up writing a book called, But Are You Making Any Money? It really laid out the system that very much changed my life. It just gave me the discipline and the foundation and the structure so that I could put the numbers and all that stuff on autopilot. And then I could do what I loved. I just had never taken the time before and I didn't think it could be done easily because... Everybody makes it so freaking complicated and it's not that complicated. Okay, so you've laid out a lot of stuff. Let's unpack some of that. Let's first start off at you were the party goddess and restaurants in general are, that's a tough business anyways. And it's really tough to make a a profit in that. I've looked at the books for restaurants and their expenses are through the roof. That's a really tough business. People don't realize it. And in hindsight, It was great that it was so tough, right? Because believe me, I used every excuse in the book of, oh, it is a tough business. But if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. And then you really decide, do you want to be in business as your own boss? And what are the trade-offs? To do well, you have to dig into your numbers. And unlike a lot of businesses, the numbers are all commingled, right? Because you have an invoice coming from a fish purveyor. And you have an invoice coming from your meat purveyor. And then that recipe is mixing it up with the paprika from this and the da-da-da from that. It isn't as straightforward as I bought this and I sold this at a markup. It's very muddled and hidden. 
It definitely, you hit the nail on the head. That is exactly right. I love to talk about numbers. Obviously, I'm a CPA, so I love this kind of stuff. And I love the fact that you're not an accountant, but you're interested in this side of the business. And I think this is where business owners really need to be because the more that they can understand their numbers, the more profit they can actually get out of the business. Because if you're not looking and understanding this stuff, you have no idea if your margins are working or not, if you're pricing correctly, if you need to increase sales, increase marketing, like there's all these levers that go on in your business. And if you don't have a handle on these things, you won't know where to pull the lever. Your ladder is perpetually up against the wrong wall, period. Because every person I've ever consulted It's always the same thing, which is they say, I need more customers. I need more business or I need more. And I just want to start the conversation by saying, please don't say you need more because that's exactly what they do not need. In fact, they often need less customers and they need less of all this noise. And what they need is just a very pared down target audience where they come up with something that scratches that itch for that audience and provides real value and that they can make replicatable. Without that, it is very difficult to make money. You start chasing the wrong feathers out of the pillow. There's enough guesswork when you do know your numbers and enough things about market volatility and target audiences and fickleness. Just do your homework, understand your numbers from the get-go, and then do all the other fun stuff. Because once you have the foundation, it's simple. Pricing can be very difficult for some women entrepreneurs, especially in the beginning, they might have some sort of imposter syndrome and they feel like they can't price the way that they should. They're not getting the fair market value for their services. And maybe they've gone through training that they deserve to be paid higher, but they're looking at their peers and they're like, oh, I'm new to this coaching or whatever, and they don't want to ask for higher wages. Sounds like you went through this phase. I'd say imposter syndrome. I, because remember, imposter syndrome also is also about the story that's going on in your head. It doesn't necessarily mean that you are an imposter, right? My interpretation of it is it means you're thinking of yourself as an imposter. Just like I was in that class when I kept giving the disclaimer, like when they're asking me questions and I was like, wait, you do know who you're asking. I wanted to keep putting that forward because I felt a certain level of responsibility. In reality, the feedback I was getting from them was, we are getting a lot of value. So close your mouth and let us get it. (laughs) Women in general, yes, I'm generalizing, but really seem to feel like, my God, unless you're a rocket scientist with a PhD in every single aspect of the business you're doing, you're a fraud. And that's not the case. It just isn't. You might feel that way, but that's very different than posing as somebody who knows what they're doing. At some point, you would just have paralysis by analysis if we never hung out our shingle and we're waiting to be perfect. You would never get anything done. Nobody should wait until they're perfect to go into business because there's so many amazing things that would never be accomplished. You have to just try. But you do have to constantly look at listening to podcasts like this and sharpening the saw and continuing to educate yourself. Absolutely. But you don't have to be a rocket scientist going into it. You work with your clients with pricing, is that right? Do you coach them through that process? How does that work exactly? Do you find that people suffer from maybe imposter syndrome or maybe they're new to whatever it is that they're doing? They feel like they have to price themselves lower to entice more customers. How do you work through this? The one thing that my customers all have in common is overwhelm. They just are in their brains way too much. The first thing I do is lay it out for them and say, listen, if you have a question or you don't understand something I'm saying, you raise your hand and ask. I don't care if it's PL and you're like, what is that? 
go ahead and ask. Now, if you've asked me 100 basic questions in 10 minutes, I might say, hey, listen, why don't you read this two chapters of XYZ before we meet again? Point is, they have to understand they got to take a deep breath. By the time they get to me, they've done their homework online. They know my deal. So they know I'm probably not going to eat them for lunch because I was a bigger train wreck than they could ever be. They have a certain amount of, okay, I think this is like a safe place, but it's still a little bit I'm playing here kitty, right? Like they're still keeping up the like, I've got this, which falls away very quickly when I ask them very specific questions. And then they half the time burst into tears. But I'm like, that's okay. It just shows me that you just want help and you're ready for help. And then I ask general questions that sometimes people want me to kind of like, but no, I need more customers. And I'm like, okay, hi, right now I'm in charge and I'm going to ask the questions. I'd be very surprised if that's what you need. And if it is, then, you know, your money back. But I need to ask the questions because people are solving the wrong problems. They're not getting to the root of the right problem. And if you're not at the root of the problem and you're off over here, it's just totally a waste of time. It's a waste of money. And you really will jump off a bridge. So my process is about asking big picture questions and then I course correct as I go. Like I start asking questions, it's like one of those yes, no things. Yes, no, go to the left. Okay. And then what about this? Yes, no, like a doctor figuring out, you're like, okay, I can now rule out appendicitis. Okay. I can now rule this out. I can now rule this out. And you really get down to it. And then usually about 40 minutes or so in, I start thinking to myself, okay, I think I got it. I got a bead on this perp here. <laughs> I know where we're headed. And then we start getting somewhere. The second appointment is usually pretty painful where they're like, I just felt beat up last time we talked. And I'm like, I get it. I'm exposing all these things, you know, but you're like, oh, you don't want to know. And you feel like it's going to be horrible to fix it. But there's magic in fixing it. And there's tremendous confidence that comes only from doing the work and only going, oh, I know these numbers. I might not be exactly where I want to be, but I know what my numbers are. And once I can get them to drink that Kool-Aid and realize there's such good stuff, if you just do the work, just stick with it a little bit longer and the payoffs will start coming. It's not like you have to wait a year for the payoffs to come. They'll start. Just jump in and go step by step and understand. You've built a business based on really yourself as the center of the business. With women that you work with that are the creative types, are they generally the focus of their business? And if that's the case, how do you help them promote themselves? You've been regular on MSNBC and Fox. Is that part of the building your profits in your business is putting yourself out there? It can be. It can also be the exact opposite. Early on, I was doing that, but it was the opposite, meaning I thought I'll be on TV, I'll get more customers. I go back to that piece. If you don't have a product or service that you're selling your customers once they buy, all you're doing is digging your hole faster. Take two or take nine of me, depending on how you want to look at it, was yes, I'm going to get press. And yes, I'm going to get high profile clients so that I can get press 
the reason that I want the press is for two reasons. It'll give me exposure to so many people that I'm not going to have, but then what it's going to do is give me the credibility and right or wrong. And I've had this conversation so many times, somebody shouldn't have credibility just because they have a celebrity client or Chanel shouldn't be elevated just because all these famous people and wealthy people wear their logos. But that is how our world works. The sooner you realize that and the sooner you realize to charge what you're worth, the world values, okay, I can trust that person. They've got the credibility because they have been featured in all these things. It could still be a fraud. People can still slip through the cracks, but it became a strategy. Then I could be more selective about working with people who are the best fit. I got to be more selective, but it also benefited them. I now know what is a really good match. The book that came out a few years ago, did that come out of your coaching with people or came out of the other business? What the book was based on was the whole system that I had written in the background for myself. This is how I'm going to price. I'm going to do this and then I'm going to add this with my Excel sheets. What really got me off the duff was when people would say, hey, how can I get more? How can I was like, and there was no more. It's very inefficient to field one question, another question. So then it's nice to be like, Go read the book, then come back to me. When you get some credibility and you get some street creds and then you're on TV for the book, you start realizing, oh, I can craft the message more and this is what resonates with people more, et cetera. Then it just fuels the whole thing. It starts helping you define your space. There are billion business books out there. I'm certainly not the only one that's written anything on pricing. I think mine is the best one on pricing because I think it is the simplest, most straightforward for somebody who doesn't want to spend their whole life trying to figure out how to price. They want to go back to making cupcakes or whatever it is they got in their business to start with. Very few people get in business to just price. Do you have a favorite method of pricing? I mean, there's by the hour, there's value pricing, there's the three tiers. Do you want to give us a snapshot of what you prefer? Because I think we're both pretty high energy. I feel like this is going to lead to like somehow the sham wow commercial. There's more like, but there's another pricing strategy. What I would recommend for my clients is unique, not in the sense of it's a totally unique strategy, but my advice would be unique because it takes into consideration so many different factors. If I'm talking to somebody who's an event planner, who's running a business in New York, I know a lot about how they price events in New York. And I know you're going to be swimming upstream if you try to price differently. doesn't mean you can't do it. You can use that as a differential advantage. But if I think this person is already confused, I sure as heck am not going to have them pick a way that they're going to now spend all their time answering objections. There are different cultural norms too. I want to come up with kind of the secret sauce that's going to take into consideration how does their market currently price? What kind of personality do they have? What kind of an ability to answer objections? How much competition do they have? That is huge. If you are in a crowd of one, guess what? You're selling water in the Sahara. It doesn't matter how I tell you to charge. If it's a markup or whatever you need to do, the more crowded the field you're in, the more things you've got to take into consideration and the more on your game you've got to be and the more unique a service you have to provide. People seem to forget like, oh, my product or service is so unique. Okay, yeah, I should say unique, but something unique that everybody wants or that enough people want because it doesn't matter just being unique alone whatever. It has to scratch some itch. It has to fill a hole out there. And if it doesn't, you're not going to be able to charge what you think you're worth. You're going to very much get what they think you're worth, which is not much. 
on your website, you have a very fun quiz that is, which cocktail are you? And one of them is a vodka and Red Bull. The other is a Dirty Dirty, which I don't actually know what that is, and a Blue Sapphire. What is this quiz about and what does this get at? What it gets at is what productivity style you are. Like, how productive are you? And the reason I did it as a cocktail, who wants to take a quiz that says, and you, my friend, are a librarian. And you are something else that's not particularly sexy. I mean, let's face it, my brand is around a good time. So I wanted to have a good time. The cocktails would sort of be like, as you can imagine, the vodka and Red Bull is you are in it to win it. You have your stuff nailed and God help you. You don't need me or anybody else to coach you. You would still crush it. Now, down the line, obviously, it's the fruitier, more like, hey, you're just in it for a good time, meaning your business is kind of more your hobby. There's plenty of substance, but I get there in a fun way, which is asking you the questions in a way that's going to bring you what kind of cocktail you are, instead of asking you the questions that are just going to be like a dumb way of asking them. I love that. That's great. We actually had a guest on that was a marketer and they said that when they interviewed their clients, one of the questions that they asked them is which cocktail they would think they would be. And when they were on my show, I was like gin and tonic because that's what I like to drink. But I'm like, that is so boring. I don't want to be a gin and tonic. I'd like to be a Manhattan or a Metropolitan. And there's so many ways to go with this because like me seeing you and your great background and the hair and the whole thing, I'd be like a gin and tonic. I mean, and I like gin and tonic, but I think it's almost like we have to think of the question and then like say, and think about the question. It's not what would we like to drink? Because what I drink is very different than the cocktail I see myself as, right? I'm going to have a vodka and diet tonic with a lime because freaking, you know, I should. What do I want to be? A pina colada, extra maraschino cherry with so much sugary sauce, it's like dripping down the top. So the whole thing is this pink looking concoction. I think it's a great question because it is telling a lot. Somebody just shooting from their practical hip, that's what I drink, or somebody going, what is my goal? I love that. I'm thinking about it. Gin and tonic doesn't make any sense for me. I think I'm definitely something that's in a pineapple with lots of umbrellas and things like that. Yeah, I'm with you and I'm in the pineapple right next to you. This may be a crazy question, but because I'm an accountant, I think this way. One of the challenges that I find when I work with creatives is that oftentimes maybe they're a marketer or something like that. Maybe they haven't even really figured out their books or their numbers at all. Maybe. How about whether they're creative or not, they probably haven't figured out their books because it's overwhelming. I don't know where to start. I don't know where to start, so I'm just going to close my eyes and hide and then hope she doesn't see the mess I've made. Yeah. Okay, so you run into that as well. And I think it's natural because... There's so much intimidation, you know, I mean, when there were only three news channels and you have to be old enough to know what I'm talking about. But before we had 9,000 news channels, Walter Cronkite would come on at this time. And people who talked about numbers were men in suits. The point is that if you are not that, you're like, I can't do it. I don't know. I can't do it. I would never understand that. Just take a break. You can do your books and you can have fun with your numbers. Lord knows I have fun with my numbers. Now, granted, I don't do them the same way everybody else does it. If I have to write checks and stuff, sometimes I write them in a color or sometimes I write, you know, my list of who's got to get paid and I might write on a piece of paper with like my chicken scratch, not in the perfect, like today I'm going to pay this on QuickBooks, whatever. 
but I have a good time with it and then I'm not intimidated by it. I think the big message just should be, you can have accountants with pink hair (laughs) and get your freaking maximum rebate or whatever. You can have a coach who focuses on what kind of drink are you so you can go have one after you have the miserable call ripping off that Band-Aid. But it doesn't have to be horrible just because everybody said it used to be. Exactly. And I'm trying to break down that normalness of what people think of as accountants because they think of them as really being like square, boring people. And I know a bunch of accountants and they're not like them. But then that is part of your brand and part of why somebody goes, oh my gosh, cool. Like how bad could it be if she's got like this fun hair and like the big smile, you start going, okay, I can do this. Exactly. Very cool. I want to ask you how people can work with you. I know you're a public speaker as well as a coach. And are you still doing the parties? We are for, I hate to say it this way, but we are for projects that are win-wins, meaning I do not want to negotiate on price anymore. I'm not saying I'm going to be the most expensive person, but it has to have something in the project for me. Maybe it is because it's some celebrity that I would love to work with, or maybe it's just so creative, or maybe it's such a great cause. But I don't want to squabble back and forth about lower the rate to this, or can I lower it to that? I'm just, thank God I'm at a point where I don't need to do that anymore. In business for a very long time, we have to do that to keep the lights on. We still do events and we still have a full almost 6,000 square foot warehouse. And I love that. I'm not going to load trucks on a Saturday night anymore, knowing that somebody just worked me down 10%. But as far as coaching clients, I think the most fun thing for your audience would be to go and we have this little like free video kind of tutorial class on exactly what we're talking about. And you'll know in 30 seconds if you're like, okay, I'm not going to learn anything from this girl or, oh my gosh, this could really help. And you just go to mini.theprofitgoddess.com. And that takes you to the little mini course. And then from there you get into our world, but you can always go to theprofitgoddess.com and check out our blogs and stuff like that. And we just try to be really like content full so that you know you're in a place where you're gonna learn something. It's a really fun site. It's got a lot of really fun visuals and you've got the cocktail quiz that's on there as well. And the cocktail quiz will prompt you just in case you are like, okay, and then it'll go, hey, save the quiz. We'll have links to all of your socials and all of that. Where do you like to hang out the most on socials? I really love being on Instagram, although I haven't been on it as much lately. I think I'm going to be back to being more on Instagram and YouTube because I love making my business YouTube videos. Marley, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Good for you for just encouraging people that they can do it and numbers are not evil and horrible. No, not at all. Thanks so much, Marley. (laughs) 